What a great message that song has, doesn't it? A tremendous truth. Keep me near the cross. It's a lot easier said than done, isn't it, in our world? We're so busy and so preoccupied, it's so difficult at times to focus our attention on the cross and Calvary. It's just life. It's the way it is. But may God help us to do just like the song says, keep me near the cross. Well, take your Bible, if you would, please. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. I want to start a very uh, series entitled, Found Faithful. Uh, we're going to probably spend about four weeks on this. And basically, we're going to be talking about being found faithful as stewards of God's world, I guess. His goods. His possessions. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Very simple verse. Let's note what it says. It says right there in chapter 4, verse 2 of the book of 1 Corinthians, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I do come to you asking you now, Lord, to speak to our hearts in these next few moments. Father, we're not going to waste a lot of time today. We want to get right to it. I'm praying, Father, that your Holy Spirit will speak to each of our hearts. May we be encouraged and instructed, inspired today from your word. Thank you, Father, for those that have gone on before us. Help us, Father, to be faithful stewards of this faith that we now possess. Bless this service and, again, fill me with your spirit and may you anoint every listening ear as well. And may we leave here, Father, being different for having come. Well, thank you. We'll praise you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In First Chron- uh, Chron- uh, excuse me, uh, Chronicles chapter 28, verse 1, the Bible says, And David assembled all the princes of Israel and the princes of the tribes and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, and the captains over the thousands and captains over the hundreds and the stewards over all the substance and possession of the kings, of the king. It goes on to say, and of his sons with the officers and with the mighty men and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem. David gathered all these together and he gathered the stewards over all the substance and possession of the king. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1, the Bible says, let a man account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, we read, As every man hath received the gifts, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Again, from the passages that we've just read, as we look at David concerning the stewards who were over the substance and possession of the king, as we note that even in the New Testament, that we are stewards of the mysteries of God and of the manifold grace of God, we understand a very important truth about stewardship and about the steward. The steward owns nothing. He has nothing that he calls his own. He simply cares for the possessions of his master. Again, David said that he called the stewards over the substance and possession of the king. 
We serve Jesus Christ who is our King. And we are simply stewards over all His substance and all His possession. And even, he goes on to say, the mysteries of God and the manifold grace of God. So we look through the Word of God. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 39, please. In Genesis chapter 39, we're going to begin in verse 3. Here we are acquainted with a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph, of course, was sold into slavery and he ultimately ends up in Potiphar's house. Notice what the Bible goes on to say in chapter 39, verses 3 through 6. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had put into his hand. And it came to pass from that time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house, and... In the field. Goes on to say, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not all he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Notice again that he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. Joseph here, of course, is, as we noted already, he's in Potiphar's house. Not under the best conditions or circumstances, but nonetheless he ends up there. And now he is given authority and he's given great uh, power in that household. As a matter of fact, Potiphar places him in charge of all of his substance and all of his goods. Now Joseph doesn't own a thing. He's a mere slave, a servant. But yet he is steward over the entire household and all the possessions and all the goods of Potiphar. With every decision he makes, with every move he makes, he is responsible to Potiphar. He simply is a steward over Potiphar's possessions. Later on, we could read, we'll not take the time, but we could see that ultimately he is promoted to Pharaoh's household. Ultimately, he's over the entire kingdom. He's not owner. He's not possessor of those things that he would ultimately rule over. But he was a steward of those things on behalf of Potiphar. Joseph is a perfect example of what a steward ought to be. What you and I ought to be in light of the Lord Jesus Christ, in light of our Creator God, and how He has blessed us and put into our hands the many possessions and the many things that we now Take hold of. We may not be slaves to a, a man or a household. We may not even be servants to a Pharaoh or to a king in this world. But we are stewards to a king in another. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, we read, His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Well, we saw that principle exhibited in Joseph's life, didn't we? 
Now, I understand the context isn't about Joseph, but it's about the, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I, what I note here is that, is that he says, you were faithful in little, you'll be made faithful in much. And Joseph was faithful in Potiphar's house. Ultimately, God elevated him to be faithful over the entire kingdom. He took what little he was possessor of, or should I say steward of, and he prospered it. He handled it well. He cared for it the way he ought to care for it. And God blessed him and said, boy, well done. And he was promoted to another level of stewardship. Well, you know what? In this life, we are merely being tested by God in a sense. He has provided us with some things and said, you are stewards of my heritage, my blessings. How will you handle those? How will you care for those? How will you invest those? We're all going to stand before God and give an account how we used or managed or cared for the substance and possessions that God entrusted to us. You know, it's one thing when we read about a bank that misappropriates funds. It's an entirely different matter when it's our money that they misappropriated and our account that took the loss. When it's ours, it matters. Oh, we may not be happy about it if it's somebody else, but when it's our account that's lacking funds or missing money, it's big time. And let me just say that God has entrusted to you and I those possessions that we now have. Whether it be our family, whether it be our home or our car or our health, whether it be our finances, our job, whether it be our position or our influence, whether it be our talents and our abilities, those are all possessions that God has entrusted into our watch care. We are simply stewards of all of those things. Therefore, if we misappropriate those, it's God's account that comes up missing. Substance. God doesn't excuse our wastefulness. He's not always waiting in heaven with a baseball bat to come down hard on us. He's very loving and He's very forgiving and He's long-suffering. I understand. Thank God for that. But by the same token, we shouldn't be so lackadaisical and apathetical about the things that God has entrusted to our care. Understanding that we are merely stewards of them. How I treat my wife is not just my business. It's God's business because she is His property. On loan to me. I'm merely a steward. How I interact and how I raise and deal with my children is... Not just my business. It's God's business. Because see, they're really God's. And He has entrusted them into my watch care. I have the privilege of becoming a steward. And I am truly responsible for the outcome. If I waste these opportunities, if I uh, uh, squander away the opportunities that God has given me, then He is not going to be pleased. Again, thankfully, He is patient. But then again, how patient are you when your bank account comes up missing funds? Let's be glad God's much more patient than we are. But by the same token, why don't we understand that when we fail to appropriate 
the blessings of God as He intends us to. We fail to be the steward of those, that inheritance that He has given us that we are truly offending Him because they are truly His possessions to begin with. We're merely stewards. Globus Chapel, a 19th century minister, he used to tell an interesting story about two paddle boats. The two boats, powered by coal, left Memphis about the same time. They were traveling down the Mississippi River to New Orleans. As they traveled side by side, some of the sailors from one of the vessels became rather critical and started joking about the other boat, saying how, you know, it was such a small boat and it couldn't keep pace with theirs and they could easily beat it to New Orleans and all of that. And of course, you know how it is, a bunch of guys got together and that competitive nature started coming out. I mean, some of the exchange got rather heated and some superlatives were exchanged and finally the two boats were roaring down through the deep south down the Mississippi River. And the race had begun. Of course, the competition was hot. It was heavy. And boy, the men, the boats, everybody was involved in it. Challenges were made. It was on. One of the boats began to fall behind. It run out of coal. And notice their supply so low and the, the uh, uh, lack of heat caused them to start to fall behind. And one of the men got this idea. He, he, th- he, he just threw some of the cargo into the into the fire, and he realized that it burned about as good as the coal did. They started throwing all of those supplies in there as they fueled their boat, and, and they, they, they made it to New Orleans first place. They may have ended up winning the race, though, but they had burned their cargo. I mean, the men on the boat did what they wanted to do. They wanted to win, and they did. But they did at the expense of failing to fulfill their purpose for the journey. I mean, the reason they left port was to make it into New Orleans with the cargo. But now they had no cargo. Winning the race fulfilling their desire, using it as they saw fit, but not fulfilling their purpose. And you know, the truth is, is that God has entrusted some cargo to you and I. And we are simply on a journey. And God wants us to use that car to deliver that cargo where He wants it delivered and for the purpose that He wants it to be delivered. And sometimes, if we're not careful in this life, we take that cargo that God has entrusted to us, whether it be our finances, our family, whether it be our faith, it could be a number of things that we could put our finger on, and we use it for our own purposes, disregarding and neglecting God's purpose completely. If there's a talent or an ability that you possess, God has entrusted that as precious cargo to you. He wants you to use it for His glory, His purpose. You're merely a steward. Your voice is not your voice, it's God's. Your talent is not your talent, it's God's. He gave it to you. You are merely a steward of those things. You're to be using them for God's glory and to fulfill His purpose in giving them to you. And that is true on all of our behalf. 
Today, I want to begin our series by speaking to you about becoming or being a steward of the faith. I believe that it all begins with the faith. In Jude chapter 1, turn there if you would please. Jude, if you get to Revelation, you've gone a little too far. Let's go backwards. You'll find Jude right before that. I want you to note verse 3. He says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He says it was needful. He said, I had to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Boy, the Christian faith that we possess in 2012 did not come cheap. I mean, it cost a number of people their lives, their families. They forfeited a life of ease and comfort in order to endure the harsh and cruel treatment of those who despised their faith and their God, which they served. Hebrews chapter 11, turn there, just go backwards a little bit further in your Bible to Hebrews. Notice what it says in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. We often refer to this as the hall of faith. Chapter 11, verse 35. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Wow, that's a picture of the, those who have provided the faith that we now hold in our hand and in our hearts. It's a picture of those who gave their all, sacrificed the very best they had to give us the faith we now possess. Boy, we are to be stewards of that faith. We're to truly care for it. To manage it for the, on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as stewards, we're responsible for the faith. Again, as a believer, you're a steward of it. Whether you have enlisted as a steward or not, you're already by proxy or by just sheer faith a steward of the faith. And as such, you're responsible to practice the faith. I mean, how can we become responsible stewards of this faith? Practice the faith, first of all. A recent Gallup poll study stated, the people who believe Christianity is losing its influence in our society outnumber those who say it's gaining influence in our society by more than three to one. In their survey, they questioned both Christians and non-Christians from 65 different areas of life. Some of their questions were, do you attend R-rated movies? Do you listen to rock and roll music? 
Have you ever been unfaithful to your spouse? In 65 different categories, Christians were indistinguishable from unsaved people. Isn't that alarming? In 65 of the categories that they questioned people, Christians were indistinguishable from unsaved people. That's a sad commentary, isn't it? I mean, churches and Christians alike have sought to erase the lines of distinction. It seems that we're removing the guardrails of separation that in generations past were established for our protection. I mean, we've adopted somewhat of a distorted view of grace, I believe. Even a distorted view of God. And we've confused liberty with license. I know I'm saved forever, and I know that I, I'm, I have the liberty of Christ in my life, but I don't have a license to go out and live however I choose. I don't have a license to dismiss the Word of God and a license to dismiss the house of God. I, don't, I, I can't just neglect God and His Word and His people and His work. I can't just throw the faith away because I have it in my heart. I've got to live that faith because I'm to be a steward of it. We live in a generation that is desperate for men and women to stand. To take their place in a society that is corrupt and sinful. To say, my life will not mirror that of the world's. My life will be a light. Christ's likeness will rule in my life. I'm not saying that anyone will ever be perfect. We all make mistakes and we all sin and we all fail. But what is our heart and our true desire today? Is it to magnify and glorify Christ at all costs? Is it to take on the Christ-likeness that is desired and designed for us in Romans chapter 8? Is it to eradicate the flesh and allow the Spirit to rule? Or is it simply just to do our best as long as it's convenient for us? Someone needs to stand. Someone needs to say, I'll not compromise the faith. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we've noted this word conversation in a, another series that we started on Sunday night, but that, the word conversation in this passage in Philippians 3.20 is derived from the word palakis, meaning a townsman or a citizen. And therefore, what Paul was really saying was, he was saying our actions or our life is a reflection of our citizenship, which is in heaven. Our conversation is in heaven, he says, He says we are citizens of heaven and our life reflects our citizenship. I'm living as though I'm walking the streets of gold now. I'm living today how one day I'll live when I'm in the very presence of Christ in that place called heaven. Because I'm already a citizen and therefore I bear the mark of my King, King Jesus. And I represent Him and His cause and His faith.
practicing the faith. We're rapidly losing ground, according to the Gallup poll. Losing ground in our culture. We're quickly becoming targets for those standing in opposition to the faith once delivered. You will be tried and tested. You will face opposition. But greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. The Apostle Paul, when he addressed his son in the faith, Timothy, made this statement in 1 Timothy 4.12. He said, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be an example of the believers. Peter, when addressing the Jewish believers that were scattered abroad as a result of persecution, told them in 1 Peter 3.16, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. He didn't say they wouldn't accuse you. But he says they're going to stand ashamed of it and realize that they were wrong all the time. Give them no reason to accuse, but in the event that they do, take heart. If you've lived according to God's Word, you've been a good steward of His faith, and you've lived it, then they'll be ashamed one day. Our world needs God's people to practice the faith as much as any generation Let us be good stewards of the faith. We begin by practicing it. Number two, if we're going to be good stewards of the faith, we must promote the faith. Not only practice it, but promote it. In the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, the Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. He goes on to tell us in 1 Corinthians that we are ambassadors of Christ. Not only are we given this commission, not only are we given this job to accomplish and to fulfill, to get the gospel to every creature, to ensure that the world hears the truth, But now he even goes on in 1 Corinthians to tell us, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. He says then we are ambassadors for Christ. Well, that fits perfectly when we consider that we are citizens of heaven already. Therefore, that means that we represent our king as any ambassador represents their king and their nation. Heaven is our kingdom. God is our King, and we are ambassadors representing our King and Kingdom today. And we ought to reflect that citizenship as we noted already. And we are to promote His Kingdom before a world that is in need of Christ. See, we've been given the faith to share. When God entrusted the faith into your watch care, when He made you a steward of the faith, it wasn't so that you could bury it in some, some cargo box somewhere. Keep it locked up 
with locking key to somehow bury it in the ground behind the house or protected from any harm by never exposing it to the world or to the air. God gave you that faith so that you could share it with others. Our purpose mirrors that of Christ's reason for coming. The Bible says in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He obviously, the Lord Jesus, and God His Father, felt it important enough to share the faith that He was willing to send His own Son to earth. And today, you and I are left on earth after we've received Christ for the same purpose. You know, we get it mixed up, don't we? We somehow believe that our purpose is to simply live a good life. Well, if I live a good life, then, then God will be happy and I'll make everybody else happy. I, I, my, my real purpose in life is to, to enjoy life, to get as much as I can out of life, to make it valuable. I don't want to waste time. I want to be positive in things. I want to go forward and accomplish a lot. That, that, that's, that's not what Christians are all about. And we're about Him. It's Him, the Lord Jesus, that's to be magnified and glorified in my life. It's not about me increasing my bank account or my 401k or establishing myself as some preeminent figure in some company as a CEO. Although, if I am lifted up as a CEO in a company, praise God, use it for His glory. There's nothing wrong with money and there's nothing wrong with elevation and influence and leadership. God help us to use it for His glory. But we misunderstand our purpose so often. It is to glorify the Lord Jesus. And he said if he would be lifted up, he'd draw men unto him. If we only magnify him, then we can fulfill our purpose and bring others to the Savior. We are trophies of his grace. In the book of Matthew, the Lord Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It is not for the purpose of our works being seen that we are to do good works. It is for the purpose of Him being glorified in them. Finally, we must close. Not only... If we're going to be responsible stewards of the faith, we want to practice the faith, we want to promote the faith. But finally, number three, we want to preserve the faith. We need to preserve this faith. History is riddled with examples of those who gave their lives in order to preserve the faith for you and I. Polycarp is thought to be a direct pupil of the Apostle John. He was the bishop of Smyrna. The emperors of Rome had unleashed bitter attacks against the Christians during that period. And uh, um, as members of the early church, there was a number of deaths and persecutions that took place. Polycarp was arrested on the charge of being a Christian. A member of a politically dangerous cult whose rapid growth needed to be stopped. Amidst an angry mob, the Roman proconsul took pity on this gentle old man. And so they urged him to just simply proclaim that Caesar is Lord. I mean, he was 
what, 83 years old. Polycarp just simply, simply express the fact that Caesar is Lord and will let you go. If only Polycarp would make this declaration. If only he would offer a small pinch of incense to Caesar's statue. He would have escaped torture and even death. But instead, Polycarp said, 86 years, excuse me, I was three off. 86 years I have served Christ and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Steadfast in the stand for Christ, Polycarp uncompromisingly took his place with the martyrs. Burned alive at the stake for the faith. John Bradford was an English reformer and a very, very, uh, uh, a very devout man of God. He was best known for his utterance, but for the grace of God, there go I. Bradford was a very faithful man. And during Bloody Mary's reign, he was confined to the Tower of London, never to be let out. History records that he was taken to the Newgate prison near Smithfield and burned at the stake. As a fellow martyr was being tied to the stake, Bradford looked into his eyes, noticing the fear. He solemnly and calmly told this young man, Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord tonight. I mean, these men's fire, these men's passion, their love for God enabled them, with, even in their dying thoughts, to focus their attention on the Jesus who saved them. John Philpot, he was also burned at the stake for the faith on December the 18th, 1555. He met the sheriff's men very gladly, they say. They proceeded down towards Smithfield again. The path was muddy. The sheriff's men offered to carry him, but he refused. He said, you know, I'm content to go on my journey's end on foot. When he came to the place of his execution, he knelt down and he kissed the stake to which he had be tied. As it came time for the flames to be lit, he began quoting Scripture. He quoted Psalm 106, 107, and then Psalm 108. And as the flames crept up his body, he continued quoting Scripture until he took his final and last breath. See, listen, we're giving our lives for something great today. It's the faith. The faith of Jesus Christ. And we're to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Great men and women were burned at the stake. Stretched on racks. They were banished from their homes, their cities, their countries. They were tortured, maimed, and martyred for the faith. And they did it all for the Lord Jesus Christ. They did it all... For the faith. The world needs something more than casual Christianity. And God demands more than casual mediocrity. It's time we stop playing church. It's time we start proving our true faith. Stewards of the faith. Faithful to practice it.
faithful to promote it, faithful to preserve it. Preserve the faith. I mean, let's think about it for a moment. Paul the Apostle shares the faith over 2,000 years ago. I know that Christ is the head of the church, but Paul invested in so many lives. And today, we sit here because of his investment. I wonder today, who will be in the faith because of you ten years from now? I mean, who will be standing on the precepts and the principles and the commands of Scripture ten years from now because of your investment in their life? That's the difference between simply practicing and promoting versus preserving. We've got to leave a legacy. We have to leave a generation behind that believes the way we believe, that has the same convictions that we have, the same standards that we hold to, the same love for Christ that we possess. Stewards of this faith. Stewards of the faith. Preserve the faith by practicing and promoting it. Live the life. Share the life. And reproduce that life in others. Our children. Our family. Our world. Need the faith. And don't be lulled into believing somehow that the faith that you possess is too radical. Don't somehow be misled to believe that you're a little bit too radical in your faith. You're a little too overboard in your church attendance and your Bible reading and your prayer life. That you put a little bit too much into it that it's not fair to expect your children to have that, those same convictions. I'll let my children grow up and make their own decisions. Yeah, but in the meantime, why don't you make them do what you do? Teach them to love the same God you do. Show them how you love Him. Express how you love Him. Demonstrate how you love Him. And demand that same type of respect from your children. Hey, listen, I make my kids love their mother because she's my wife first. You say, well, it's up to them how they treat her. No, it isn't. They're in my house, they're my kids. They're going to treat my wife with respect. And if they don't want to treat their mother with respect, they'll treat my wife with respect. And you may not like my Lord in my home, but while you're in my home, you'll treat Him with respect. And there'll come a point where I believe that our young people, if they really see the love of Christ in us, a compassionate heart, a tender heart, that they'll also embrace that same heart Oh, I know we can go to every little uh, nuance and situation where it didn't turn out the way we thought it should. 
But I'm going to tell you, if our life will measure up to God's standard, if we'll do our best to fulfill His will the way He outlines it and describes it, if we'll really give our best to Him and not our leftovers, I believe that our children will be impressed with the Jesus we serve. I want my kids in a Baptist church when they grow up. I want them to have some standards and I want them to love the Word of God that I hold in my hand, a King James Bible. I want them to have what God's given me because what He's given me is good. And that faith that I possess, I want them to possess. Not a mere shadow of it, but the real thing. Do you have the faith today? Have you been saved? Do you know without a doubt if you died, you'd even go to heaven? See, if you don't have that settled, you need to get in the faith. We're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Settle, first of all, that you're in the faith by getting into Jesus Christ and inviting Him into your life. And then if you are a child of God, let's make sure we're good stewards of the faith that we've been entrusted it's not our faith. It's His. And He gives it to us on loan. It's ours now. As stewards. Let's make sure that we're practicing it. Promoting it. And preserving it. For the next generation. Father, we come to You. We thank You again for this time that we've had together in Your Word. And we just ask, Lord, You'd speak to our hearts today. Thank you again, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be here in this house. And and we're here because others have paved the price. They've paved the way. Lord, sometimes I take that for granted, and I, I would imagine maybe others do as well. But Lord, on services like this, I want to thank you for providing men and women in the past that held their ground, that stood for you in the midst of some of the greatest, most difficult trials that we have recorded. Father, help us as children of God to truly preserve that faith. And, 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 and we do that by, Father, certainly practicing it, by, by promoting it, but then, Lord, by literally reproducing it in the lives of others the best we can, demonstrating a Christ-like spirit, a Christ-like attitude, loving and forgiving and exhibiting, exhibiting compassion as You would. Help us, Lord to be what you want us to be and all we can be for your glory. And Lord, in turn, may others, Father, choose that same path. And in ten years from now, they too will be faithful Christians as a result. Now, Lord, bless us in these next moments. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So I'll stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't have it settled. As the moment the music begins to play, what I want you to do is step out in the closest aisle, come see me. Or maybe you're a child of God and you're saying, there's an area in my life that I need to address. There's something that needs to be focused on. I've got to get my eyes maybe back on Jesus a little more clearly. That's fine too. You step out as soon as the music plays as well. Won't you come? I don't know for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Come see me. Step out into the closest aisle, come see me. Let's let God do something miraculous in your life, supernatural in your life. Something eternal in your life.
There's no perfect people and there's no perfect Christians in the sense of our actions and our lifestyle. We're all struggling in this life at times with our flesh, no doubt. But let's at least make an attempt. Let's at least tell God with our human best, we're going to do our best to please Him as we're filled with His Spirit. We're going to get in His presence and we're going to let Him be real to us. And we want others to see Him in us. Not just do good things for the sake of good, but do the good things for the sake of Christ. 